I, you, I think you, I think a lot of people have to be careful about that because when they set their sights on a goal based on someone else's performance or, or the expectations of society or whatever, then they end up falling short and it, it creates unhappiness for them. Right. Yeah. If if you have a, if you have a goal that you want to attain, whether you feel like you can attain it or not, doing what you can to attain that goal is going to make you a better version of yourself along the way, regardless of if you think you can attain that goal or not. So there's mm. no harm in trying to achieve something even if you don't feel like you are going to achieve it in the end because you're going to grow as an individual on the way to that. Mm-hmm. I, I agree as long as you have that same mindset. Yeah, yeah. If you have a mindset where you're going to be constantly disappointed because you're not able to reach those goals or even if it's because it's the, you're not able to reach certain milestones within an appropriate amount of time, you're not able to see the benefit of those baby steps and especially the benefit of failures, right? If you don't see the benefit of failures and what, how that's creating, uh, how that's creating a better version of you along the, along the way, because you're learning lessons and you're still growing. Otherwise, if you can't see those things, then that vision of success or that goal can actually be detrimental. And so the mindset has to be the first thing you attend to before you try to reach those goals. And I, of of course we always get back to this at some point in time. I believe that mindset is the first, that's the first, that's the foundation of, of having a motivational environment in your life. It's gotta be the springboard by which you, that by which you bounce off into whatever direction that you're taking. Hey, thank you for checking into this edition of the Cerebral Entertainment Podcast. Before we get started, we have some housekeeping that we shall attend to, including these following items. In case you haven't noticed, we have added a new show to the Cerebral feed, which is the first new addition to what we are developing as the Cerebral Entertainment Podcast Network. This new show is called Raised on the Radio, and it features our own Colt Bricado and Patrick Blair. These two fine gentlemen are also two of the four members of MMA on the mic, which you can check out on Facebook Live during most major UFC fight cards on those respective fight nights. Now, as for the CEP, we will be eternally appreciative if you will go to your favorite podcast feeder and subscribe to our network, including our show here and now raised on the radio. But we also need you to head on over to Apple Podcast, iTunes, whatever that's called nowadays, and give us a five-star rating over there. Also, be sure to give us a like and a follow on the socials, and be sure to visit buyjack.com slash CEP, that's B-Y-J-A-C-K dot com slash CEP, to pick up some official Cerebral Entertainment Podcast merchandise for you and your loved ones. We'll thank you, they will thank you, and you shan't be disappointed, I promise. It's a win all the way around, folks. Now for this episode, Colt and I bring you yet another riveting chat amongst ourselves where we discuss things including podcasting, defining success, managing expectations, and much, much more. But before we jump into the weeds, we are extremely elated to have the opportunity to feature a couple of tracks on this episode from our good friend Ace Ha. Ace is a Los Angeles-based producer who you may know from Scrubbing Ace Ha, available on all streaming sites, by the way. Or you may know him as Uncle Ace Ha on SoundCloud. You better be subscribed. I'm telling you, you shan't be disappointed. At any rate, be sure to check out Ace Ha on the socials. Give him likes, give him follows, and show him all of your love and affection. Now let's ease into this episode of the CEP with this groovy track called To Infinity. And also stick around after the episode to hear some more Ace Ha deliciousness. So, without further introduction, here we go. 
Hey, everybody. Welcome back to yet another riveting edition of the Cerebral Entertainment Podcast. I am James, and with me, as always, is my good friend Colt. What's up, man? Not much. How's it going, brother? Not too bad. Uh, this whole riveting thing, I, I, every time we start, I feel like we have to have such high expectations, which is a good thing, but it makes it gives you just a little bit of nervousness because it's like riveting right off the bat. We've got to do that. I think that's the point, though. What I want to do is set the bar high so that it set, you know, it gives us fuel for our, you know, our, our fire, our podcast fire, if you will. So, right. But if it makes me I, a little I, nervous and we're like 150 plus episodes in, I can't imagine what it makes a guest feel like. I, I don't know. I like it, though. I like it. I like putting them in the hot seat yeah. so that they're like, man, now I really have to bring some fire to this interview because <laughs> it's got to be riveting. And right. so... I like it. I think it's a good way to set the stage for what we're looking for in order to have a good show. And that's kind of what I'm here to do is to, you know, fuel the fire. Yeah, you're, you're doing you're doing OK so far. I think you, got some pra- <laughs> you need some practice, but we'll, we'll get yeah. it. We'll get it eventually. Maybe by episode 300 or so, I'll have it down. I don't know Dude, if like, I don't have it down by 153, then it's like it's like double. It's like three years from now. <laughs> Yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> Sometimes we get on good tears and we put out a lot of episodes all at once and then we'll kind of back off for a little bit and polish our craft and then we will, you know, get back on fire again, put out a bunch of episodes, but who knows, you know, because we, we can't say that we had three years worth of a, a just one like set schedule, right? We've had right. kind of many different schedules over the past three years. Like there were times where we were putting out an episode per week. Then we went to like two episodes per week for a while, especially if you count the the playlist, which we didn't count the playlist as episodes, so that might not that might not mesh. Right. But but we did put out two episodes per week there for a little bit because mm-hmm. we were so banked with episodes that we had to. Yeah. In order to not have such a surplus that we didn't know what to do with them. So right. at I any rate, I don't know if people understand that really. I mean, we didn't understand it going into podcasting, but you know how the whole the whole schedule works you know you don't want to get like 10 episodes banked and then all of a sudden you have to be able to put those things out but you also have to edit them and you have to do all the stuff that it takes to be able to put out a good product too so you don't want to bank 10 episodes and then it take you know eight months to get those 10 episodes out right but you also don't want to you know because you don't want to have to make a guest wait like i wouldn't want to be on a show and then that show doesn't come out for three months Yes. You know, so you want to you want to make sure that everybody's getting everybody that you're promoting is getting their recognition the way that they should and their promotion the way that they should in a, you know, a, a decent amount of time. Right. So, I think yeah. we, I think we've done pretty well with that. We we busted our ass there for a little while. We cuz we got ourselves into a crunch that we weren't expecting, I think. So mm-hmm. we, you know, we were put essentially you were putting in a lot of late nights as for as far as editing goes and stuff like that too to put it out so well if you like when you're first starting out if you have no experience doing it then like you, you really don't know like you said you don't know what you're getting into as far as like one big one big thing that is always tough for me in, in whether podcasting or at my work or anything that I'm doing is scheduling when you're working with other people the scheduling is always like one of your biggest complexities that you have to deal with because you're not just working around your schedule, but you've got other people who are doing a lot of other different things. And now you're trying to work with their schedule 
And on top of that, for podcasting, you're also working with trying to have a drop schedule. We were never ones to want to just drop willy-nilly, you know. We didn't just want to drop an episode here, drop an episode there. And because, I don't know, it just we like structure, I guess, right? I mean, right. we wanted it to, we wanted our listeners to know exactly when they were getting something, at least to some degree, right? So right. You don't wanna, having you don't wanna, all of those. You don't want to put out episodes on like Tuesday and Saturday one week and then the next week be Thursday and Sunday because then people don't know when, when they're coming out. It's easier that way because then you don't really have to worry about when you put episodes out because people don't know when they're expecting them, right? So right. they just like, as long as they're subscribed, they're good to go. But yeah. would that would that push you away from subscribing to somebody if you didn't? I mean, I, I guess content will be a big a big thing that would keep you invested. You, you know, right. even if you didn't know when the episodes were coming out, as long as you were subscribed, as long as it was good content, everything's fine. But we we like structure a lot better. But would that push you away from listening to something unless it was absolutely, you know, grabbing you every episode? Probably to yeah. some degree, but I mean, there are some podcasts that I subscribe to who do that. It, it seemingly, at least I haven't been able to, to delineate what their schedule is, but I, I would say that the content is King. It always is. But what happens is I'll miss episodes because I, because it comes willy nilly, you know, I might get a notification or whatever, but it, I, I know like if there's a certain episode or a certain show that drops episodes on a certain day, that I can expect that whether I like I'm driving across the state for work or whatever I'm doing, I know that I can count on that episode being there. There's going to be a new one. Uh, but if I don't know that because it's more willy nilly, more sporadic, if you will, then I'm going to miss some episodes and I try to get caught back up, but I only have so much time. Right. And so I might not, I think I'm going to miss episodes more so than it turns me off from the show. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Do you have do you have any podcasts which we don't have to get into like all the podcasts we listen to or anything but do you have any podcasts that they're at the front of the line and you try your best not to miss any episodes or does life just not let that happen really most of the time Sam Harris he, okay. he's the one because he doesn't drop like crazy amounts of episodes like Joe Rogan I don't catch nearly all of Joe Rogan's episodes I, I'm I'm pretty picky and choosy for a couple different reasons a they last for seven and a half hours a piece. <laughs> Right. Yeah. They last for three. And so it's, it's actually not that much of a, of a stretch, but no, uh, Sam Harris is, but Joe Rogan's also, he seems to be, I don't know what his drop schedule is. I can't tell. Right. So there's that. And I, I don't care for all the content he drops a lot. Right. Right. And so I pick and choose for his Sam Harris drops. Not so much. He doesn't drops. You know, the, the frequency is not nearly as much. And so, and I, I care for almost every topic that he brings to the table. So that's really the only podcast that I have that I don't miss any. Um, I catch a lot of the advices, radio guys, you know, and I, I catch some, some rock paper podcasts still. Mm -hmm. um, I catch, you know, I, I catch a lot of, of a, a little bit of a lot. Right. But the one, the one that I don't miss an episode is Sam Harris. How about you? You know, it was, it was Joe Rogan for quite a while because I was, you know, my work environment was set up to where I could listen to podcasts all day long. And, you know, the content was there. That's what I wanted to listen to. It, I've gotten away from it because work schedule has changed and stuff like that. The Rizzuto show has been actually a good one, mainly because I like all those guys that are on the show for one. The, but the content, it, I mean, it's, it's constant content and it's legit news that you can get from it and things like that, too on top of comedy and all that good stuff too. Right. So yeah. if I had to say that there was one right now, it would be the Rizzuto show probably. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, with with the way work is going right now, I don't think I'm going to be able to listen to podcasts for quite a while, which is going to cramp me a little bit because even listening to podcasts gives me thoughts, ideas, and content for our podcasts and doing these chats and stuff like that. Yes. So now I'm going to have to just think in my brain on its own without incoming content, which is going to be probably not a good thing for anybody. Uh, right. It's going to kind of cripple our conversations <laughs> in the future episodes. So uh, that's great for listenership. Go ahead and tell everybody that <laughs> the, the next episodes are really going to suck because Colt's all going to be off his game. Um, speaking of podcasts, though, I'm going to go ahead and mention that we've got several new local podcasts coming up in the St. Louis area, including from our good friend Joe Burrow. Absolutely. Who's got an inspirational type of podcast about everyday normal people, which I love because Joe's a great storyteller. He is, you know, he's got a fantastic, I think, uh, vision and and the philosophy is solid for what he wants to do. Good hearted. And I think that's going to be something really special. Another one that sticks out is uh, ATG has right, got yeah. a podcast now. Mm-hmm. And of course that's going to be super entertaining, It'll be very interesting. ATG is the front man for the the band Discrepancies and does a lot of solo work and he's going to have a lot of interesting and colorful things to talk about on his podcast as well. So it's going to be fun. Yeah. And I think I think there's more. There's more new ones popping up in the St. Louis area. So St. Louis is a hotbed of great podcast. So right. if you're out there, you know, keep your keep your ears and your eyes peeled because it's gonna be a lot of good content coming from our beloved St. Louis. Right. Um I have two things to play off of what you just said. So okay. number one is going to be I I shared the news with you yesterday about the show that is coming up. I, I'm bringing this up because you had mentioned you just mentioned ATG, ATG and Joe Burrow, which are two guys who are very invested in the St. Louis scene. Mm-hmm. So I music, of course, popped in my head. Yes. But, um, so have you seen you've seen the May first and May second shows that the Story of the Year decided that they were going to do in St. Louis at Delmar Hall? Correct. I have. Yes. Okay, and I and I don't know if the second one sold out. Or not, because they were supposed to be doing the Black Swan, I believe, mm-hmm. in its entirety on that Saturday, May 2nd. The fir- uh, May 1st, I believe, sold out in like the first day or two playing uh, playing Page Avenue. Yes. In its entirety. So now they have added a show for the Thursday night before that, April 30th, with Fivefold coming back together again to open up with... City of Parks City of as well, Parks. yes, yeah, which is gonna right. be awesome. Yes, yeah, just so you know, City of Parks is—is is that a reunion band too, or have they still been? Have they still been at it? Because I haven't seen anything from City of Parks in a, in a long time. I know, I don't, I don't know. I know, uh, I don't want to speculate or get too deep into it because I don't know. Uh, all I know is that I know that they have several members who have been doing other th- other bands and other uh, things as well. So I don't know if that has played into not seeing a whole lot from them or not, but I'm excited. Mm. I'm excited to see, to see, I mean, to see them in general, they have new members since the last time I've seen them also. So, right. Story of the year coming back with these shows. Is this some kind of anniversary for them? Do you know, is it an anniversary of the album page Avenue or anything like that? That's kind of been the driver behind these, my, these shows. Because this is pretty big for St. Louis. My assumption is that, 
it's a celebration of Page Avenue hitting platinum. Is it platinum with a million streams or a Sounds million right. downloads or, or however that works? Yeah, because uh, I know been a that, while since know... I've been in the industry. But yeah, <laughs> uh, well, that was just announced not too long ago that they had reached ah. that milestone. So my assumption is that these were, you know, these are a kind of a celebration of of that. And I mean, of course, St. Louis is taking it in as much as possible because for a lot of people, St. or Story of the Year is that St. Louis band that started everything for everyone and made, you know, I've heard members of St. Louis bands that have been here for a long time and new ones that say seeing Story of the Year on MTV made us feel like we could do something. Yes. So Story yeah. Year was that band in the beginning that, you know, that gave the entire St. Louis scene a voice. Yeah. It didn't just give St. Louis a voice. It set a tone yeah. for St. Louis, I feel like, because not not in a disparaging way at all, but a lot of your bands that have come up since have that Story of the Year. Like, you can tell where the inspiration came from, Right. right? That's huge, right? And once again, that's not disparaging at all. That's uh that's the highest compliment to story of the year. And it's other other guys coming up knowing that, man, this is just an awesome sound. Right. Not even necessarily that this is what's gonna take me to the top, but this is what is fun to play and it's what the people like to hear. And so and, and cities have oftentimes a particular kind of sound, you know? Um, like the the Seattle sound back in the nineties, right? It was it was more than just grunge. It was there was a lot more to it than that. There was a lot of your post grunge bands that was way bigger than what grunge, minus Nirvana, but what it was way bigger than what grunge had ever had ever accomplished. But there was that Seattle sound. Well, I would I would venture to say that story of the year is that St. Louis sound at least in our time, right? Yeah. And, and, and in that genre, you're gonna have other sounds. You have hip hop sounds, of course. Who do you think of when you think of St. Louis hip hop? St. Louis hip hop? Yeah, as, as far as for, I mean, for are you our, think, are our you just thinking Nelly? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I, mean, okay. that, well, I well, think that's the obvious choice. Okay. I, I was, well, my mind Who, differentiates. than Nelly? No, I'm not saying there is. I'm saying that my mind differentiates like hip hop and rap as separate things. So it, I guess it depends on what genre you're putting Nelly into. Hip, but okay, but yeah. I, I, agree, I agree with you with what you're, the statement you're making. I don't do all that genre hair splitting <laughs> that you're doing right now, okay? I'm trying to simplify things, not just for the listener, but for myself more than anything because, yeah, anyway. I got you. Uh, as far as that genre, the rap genre is concerned, Nelly's, I mean, he's he's what put St. Louis really on the map, right? Yeah. But you, then after that, you had some some other people who kind of, you could tell where the inspiration was coming from. It was a St. Louis style. It was a St. Louis sound. And... I'm not saying that it, that it completely originated from St. Louis or anything like that. I'm just saying that's that's what happened, and that's what happened afterwards. And so St. Louis, you know, depending on the genre, has had some very successful people who have come up and really put us on the map. And I say us. I'm I'm including us right now because I love St. Louis and I just I want to be a part of it, right? So that's why I'm including us. It's not like I've done anything to to help the city, but anyway. Right. I told you that I had two things to go off of that, and I completely forgot what the second one was. So, what was the first one? the the sh- The story of the year show with Five Four uh, opening up that was that was my uh, first one, and there was a second one that I had too that I was really hoping I wouldn't forget, and then I forgot yeah. it. 
<laughs> I'm sh- sure that's I had something to do with your forgetting, but you know, oh, that's, yeah, right. So <laughs> I get off on tangents. I lead people down a path, and then I leave them there, and then they're lost. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm gonna have to. Hit, I'm gonna have to hitch my hitchhike my way back. <laughs> yes, you will. Good luck finding your way back home, sir. But anyway, we you know we've talking about success and and success being measured. You know. To, it, Let's talk about that for a second. How do you measure success? You know, what is success for you versus what is success for for Nelly or Story of the Year or whoever we're talking about? You know, success is a, a very subjective experience in a lot of ways. Obviously, I'm successful if I'm famous, I guess, and I, and I make money and I sell records or I have a lot of visibility or, you know, I've made made waves, things like that. But what about everyday successes, you know? where I'm getting at is these people, Nelly story of the year, a lot of the, the people that have made something out, out of St. Louis. Another great one is the urge. Love those guys. Right. Um, they had a bunch, a bunch of little successes on their way to being what's, I mean, what we would call successful. Right. And so successful really isn't a, it's not a landing point. It's not a destination. Successful, I think, is more of an attitude. It's more of a, a daily grind. It's something that you achieve not just once, but you achieve it over and over and over again to try to reach, a, I guess, kind of a never-ending goal, right? If you have a goal and your goal is to you know, sell this many records or play this many shows or whatever, then what happens after that? Do you just stop? Most of the time, no. Those, those folks keep going, they keep going, and they see where this successful path takes us. So I guess success is a path. It's a very useful way to look at it. Yeah, but the the goals you're talking about. So I, I don't know. I don't. I, maybe success isn't the actual the word to use. Maybe it's just staying in the frame of goals because you you know we talk a lot about short term goals versus long term goals. And of course, if you're like a band, you're you probably got a long term goal of being, you know that number one on the charts and that, you know, in everybody's ears on the, uh, well, I almost said on the radio, which doesn't make any sense anymore, really, but you you know what I'm saying? So you, but you have these minor achievements that you're trying to get on the way there. So you're successful at the, the short term goals that you're making up until you make it to the big time or wherever you're trying to go. So it's like more, of just achievement versus success because success is a like I you can feel successful right now but I might look at you like I don't think you're successful so it's just a word to I don't know if comfortable is the word like it's it's just because you feel successful doesn't mean I think you're successful or vice versa Right. Right. So it's or it's, that, it's or just that a society word. as a whole. Right. So it's just a word that describes a feeling, kind of. Right. Okay. So do we do we completely throw out the word successful? Then is it is it moot? Is it is does it take us down a path that is actually more uh, harming than it is beneficial, or are we just needing to restructure our definition of the term success? Um, explain what you mean by harming. Like how is it how is it harming to somebody? Well, because if I'm always trying to achieve success, right? Because so I have this thing in mind, and as you what you're saying is it should be termed as a goal, a goal in mind. But I I think that if I if I do this thing, if I reach this height, 
you know, if I, if I find this, this thing that I'm looking for in life, I put out, you know, so many podcasts to get so many downloads and I reach that goal that I'm successful. Right. But is that really successful? Does that cause me any kind of mental turmoil if I don't reach that when really, if I've done good podcasts, I've done a lot of good work. And even if I've really, you know, increased the quality of life for a, a smaller number of people than what I had deemed as successful in my terms, isn't that really still a good thing that I've done? And shouldn't I, yeah, shouldn't not, I still focus not, on that as opposed to focusing on that idea of success that I had? Right. But I'm not saying that it's a bad thing by any means, but it's still like you were successful at that thing that you wanted to do on your way to being successful to doing another thing that you wanted to do that was bigger than the first thing that you did. So like, mm -hmm. like I said, it's like almost it's goals you're trying to achieve, but you're trying to be successful at that first thing. Once you're successful at that, then you have to find something else to be successful for or bigger on a bigger scale to be successful. So it's not, it's not bad and it's not a bad thing to be trying to achieve, but it's just the word I guess is, hard to hard to use because it's so it's not just me or you right it's 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 you like i said before you can think i'm successful i might not feel like i'm successful because i haven't succeeded in something in my life that i want to succeed in or vice mm. versa does that all make sense it, it does it maybe so maybe what I, I know for me i'll give you an example sometimes you know i do some presentations for my in my line of work and sometimes I do a presentation and I feel like I've completely bombed it, right? I, I tripped over my words. I may have done something wrong or was I got out of place. You name it. I've been there. I've done that. Other people will come up to me and say, hey, you did a good job. And I'll be like, thank you. But in my head, I'm going, you liar. <laughs> You're a liar. I know how terrible I did, right? Right. So on the, on the flip side, I have other presentations where I've knocked it out of the park, it's like I, I, I didn't trip over any words. I mean, it just came out. The, the words were flowing. It came out as I intended, and I feel great after that presentation that I did, and I don't get any remarks, and people don't say, hey, you did a good job that day, right? So for me, whether or not I was successful at that presentation has little to do with others' opinions about me, right? and it has to do with how I feel that I did. Right. Because that's that's really that's that's the the, the goal or, or the markers that I'm trying to achieve is knowing that I did the best that I could and that it was awesome. And what other people think really doesn't matter at that point in time. Right. But you're also looking at it in a small scale, like I was successful or not successful in that small situation versus mm -hmm. if I ask you, do you think you're successful in life? Do you you look at your entire life and does, does your brain automatically break it down to like, well, I've succeeded because I'm married and I have kids and what society tells me that I should be doing. I've succeeded in most of those things. I have a really good job that I love, but you should all, I'm sure there's other areas, not just you in general, but anybody mm -hmm. that finds, you know, areas in their life where they're like, but I'm not as successful in this area. So if somebody asks you, okay, are you, do you feel like you're successful in life? Are you just like taking an average of, well, I'm, I feel like I'm successful over here, but not really over here, but I feel like I'm more successful in the areas that I'm successful in. 
So yeah, I, I feel like I'm successful in an average over my entire life. Mm. Right. Does that make sense? It, it, yeah, I think so. I, but I think that once again, I, I keep going back to that success being kind of a loaded term because when, when am I just okay? And this kind of leads into our next topic kind of setting the the environment setting our, our environment for you know a motivational experience right uh-huh. getting the most out of our out of our time in this life by creating a motivational foundation for us to work from but at what point is gauging success especially if you're including what other people consider successful right because you mentioned I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing according to societal standards and so that gets us in trouble because what society deems successful for some people, like say you're, you're working with beauty standards, right? Well, you can't be successful unless you look like this, this woman who's a model who's on TV all the time, so on and so forth. And so we get these unrealistic standards put in front of us. And if, unless we reach or can reach those standards, we're never going to be quote unquote successful. Right. right? Yeah. And so I feel like that can be, damaging to our to our psyche and to our approach to life and we never really stop trying to achieve the unachievable for us yeah i don't know i mean it's a pot i i can i can see it from that side i guess it depends on how you think about it in your mind because whether you use it as for yourself as motivation like just like we go back to the goals thing we said a while ago like if if you want to be successful at this goal it depends on your motivation on if can you motivate yourself and how do you use it? Do you decide that that goal is not attainable? I'm not going to even try to do it because I know that I can't reach that goal. Or mm. am I going to use it as regardless if that's attainable or not, I'm going to do everything that I can to try to get it. And if I do, then that's going to make me feel even better because I did something I didn't think that was going to be possible. So I, I think, mm. I think it depends on your internal motivation and how or if you even have internal motivation for certain situations. Yeah. So let's use bodybuilding for an example. Okay. Genetics plays a big role in how big and how defined a person is going to be able, um, what they're going to be able to achieve, right? Right. With their body. Mm -hmm. So if I set a goal that I want to look like Arnold, right? But my genetics say that I can't do that then is my goal to try to look like Arnold? Am I using that? Is that going to end up with a positive net result or a negative net result? Am I going to, is it going to cause me an, a, a certain amount of unhappiness because at some point in time I realize this is never going to happen or am I just using it as fire to get the best that I can possibly achieve? Right. And so I know this is a, this is a kind of rhetorical because I think that kind of what you're saying is you can go either way Go the right way, right? Use it, use it as fuel to be the best that you can be because you might not ever get to the, you know, to the point to where Arnold's at. You're never going to get that big. You're never going to be that strong, but you can still be a really, you know, a, a, an improved individual yourself. Right. You can be the best you that you can be right. just because you set your sights on that goal. Right. Right. I, yeah, you, I think, you, I think a lot of people have to be careful about that because when they set their sights on a goal based on someone else's performance or, or the expectations of society or whatever, then they end up falling short and it, it creates unhappiness for them. Right. Yeah. If, if you have a, if you have a goal that you want to attain, whether you feel like you can attain it or not, 
doing what you can to attain that goal is going to make you a better version of yourself along the way, regardless of if you think you can attain that goal or not. So there's Mm. no harm in trying to achieve something, even if you don't feel like you are going to achieve it in the end, because you're going to grow as an individual on the way to that. Mm -hmm. I, I agree. As long as you have that same mindset. Yeah. Yeah. If you have a mindset where you're going to be constantly disappointed because you're not able to reach those goals, or even if it's because it's the, you're not able to reach certain milestones within an appropriate amount of time, you're not able to see the benefit of those baby steps and especially the benefit of failures, right? If you don't see the benefit of failures and what how that's creating uh, how that's creating a better version of you along the, along the way because you're learning lessons and you're still growing otherwise, if you can't see those things, then that vision of success or that goal can actually be detrimental. And so the mindset has to be the first thing you attend to before you try to reach those goals. And I, of, of course, we always get back to this at some point in time. I believe that mindset is the first that's the first that's the foundation of of having a motivational environment in your life. Right. It's got to be the springboard by which you that by which you bounce off into whatever direction that you're taking. Right. So I want I want to put this take it from like the gym and put it into like a workplace situation and look at how there could be downfalls. I guess it depends on how you look at it. But like downfalls, you know, they they say that in some jobs you can hit a glass ceiling which basically you can't get any higher than where you're at, but you can still see, you can still see up from there. Right. So, right. so in the situation that we're talking, if you're in a position at, at a job to where you have the mindset where I'm going to come in here and I want to be that supervisor, or I want to be the CEO of this company or whatever you go in there every day, you put in the effort every day to try to achieve that. The problem is, is that you may have people above you, who make the decisions to see where you go and how you mm-hmm. and how you progress and how you move up in a company that can be detrimental to you depending on how you look at the situation it takes time and it takes work and it takes investment into something that you want to do to grow and to keep moving up especially in a job or a position or something like that it can it, it can tear you down if you decide you you decide in a year I want to be in this position and you don't get that position, but that's not on you. That's on the other people above you to look down at you and say you've been doing the work. Let's put you in this position to do it. Right. Mm, right. However, you for that year, regardless if you got the position you wanted or not, or you're stuck in the same spot, you've still been busting your ass. You've still been investing your time into doing it. So if you wanted to go to a different company right now, depending on your mind, your mindset, you've got the, you've got the skills now you've got, you've, you know how to work, you know how to invest your time to go succeed somewhere else. Right. Versus if Mm -hmm. you in, in the beginning at the first job, if you knew, if you just thought in your head, there's no way I'm going to become that supervisor you and you just don't you don't do anything you just go in you put in your 40 hours a week and you go home and you don't worry about anything outside of that where did you grow how did you grow at all no you didn't you just put in the time that they asked you to put in and then went home mm-hmm. right i mean i know i that was a big uh, analogy i guess but 
I'm just trying to say it, it comes down to, it comes down to mindset because it's very important to know that it's very it's very important to put in work to get somewhere that you want to go. And even if you don't achieve that goal and you don't att- you don't get to where you want to go, you still grew and you may it may take a different avenue in life to get where you want to be, but at least you put in the work to get there even if it's in a different a different spot, right? Mhm. Right. Yeah. All dependent upon your mindset. Right. Right. Because you're talking about the same job, the same conditions. But if you don't have the right mindset at the start, then you're not you're probably not soaking in as much of the experience and of the lessons, the other lessons that you would learn, maybe the technical lessons or whatever the case may be, whether it's learning a new skill at that job or, you know, whatever then if you don't have the right mindset starting out, then you're going to miss a lot of the opportunities that might come later. Right. And you still might have the same overall goal. I want to be that supervisor. I want to be that guy. But your mindset in, in reaching that goal can dictate whether or not you're able to move on and be successful or if you get stuck in that rut, right? Right. So I, I think that's definitely definitely the the first predisposition that one has to have in order to create a successful environment for themselves or motivational environment. So, right? so because if, if you go but, ahead, what, what if you're, what if you're in a position, whether that be in a job or, uh, and I think I might've heard you mention this same scenario before, but what if you're in a position that you can't go any higher than where you are? Like what if mm-hmm. you're in a position that, Regardless of how much effort you put in, how much investment you put in, you have hit a ceiling, whether that be for, uh, especially if that means like pay wise. So, uh, you know, I know, I know jobs where you can be in one position for five years and after that five years, you might, you might hit the ceiling on what you can actually make in that position. Mm -hmm. Does it motivate you to do more than just come in? and do your 40 hours a week and go home and try to put in extra time? Or does that just leave you stagnant to where you just want, you know, you just come in, put in the work because I can't, I, I can't go anywhere from here. I can't progress from here. Yeah. Right? The, the one thing that we have to stay away from is becoming stagnant regardless, right. no matter what you're doing. So I think you've got at that point, if you've reached a ceiling, at that particular job that you have, you've got to see what the other benefits are surrounding that job. So, for instance, if I have hit a ceiling in my current position, my current line of work, I know that I'm not going to make it any further up the ladder. The, the opportunity is just not there, right? There's, not, there's nowhere else to go. Then what else can I do? Like, can I, can I make that job? Can I develop a routine or anything around that job to where I can do other things because that job, I, I've hit that ceiling. Maybe that job has become easier and I can manage my time. Are, is there flexibility in that job in the schedule to allow me to do other things outside of that job so that I can grow my life in other ways and I'm not completely anchored to that particular thing that's not going any further, right? So I would look for flexibility first and foremost. I do look for flexibility first and foremost not that i've necessarily hit a ceiling but in a a sense in in my line of work where i'm at there's other opportunities within the company per se 
and, and there's other things I can do, but for what I want to do, um, I, I'm at a place where I have flexibility in my schedule and it allows me to do some other things that I want to pursue so that I don't feel like I'm stagnant. That's a dirty, dirty, dirty word stagnant. You know, we want to stay away from that right. because when you get stagnant in life, then I mean, you, you are no longer creating the, the element of motivation in, in your life. You're, you're no longer, that's no longer your foundation. You have no spring port. All right. Stagnant is being still, it's being stuck and we don't want that. So if, if your job is not giving you the opportunity from within itself, then you've got to look around and see if there's that flexibility, any other opportunities whatsoever as well. In my line of work, I also have the opportunity to meet other people in other industries, kind of the same industry, but other organizations and, and some different types of things. Like I can branch out into some marketing type of things or in, you know, private practice kind of work and things like that and just get a better idea about what opportunities are out there. Right. right? And so there's also that networking. That's another opportunity that you can have within that position. My, my final point on that is if you don't have those things and you're just at a job and you've hit that ceiling and you feel stuck, I say you got to eject, you know, it's going to be better for you. And for your life and for those in your life, if you get to that point to stay away from that stagnant, that stagnation, you, you've got to stay away from that first and foremost, you know, make sure that you're making the right move. Give us some time, right? right. Don't just do something stupid. But yeah, I mean, if, if that's the case and there's no other options, you don't have flexibility. If this job is keeping you, you know, working so many hours that you don't have time to do anything else and you're tired and you've got nothing to network. You're kind of closed in this bubble and that's where they want to keep you because you're a good worker. Yeah. I'm out of there, man. I, I got to find something else. I'm not going to be able to maintain in that environment. Yeah. Well, I, I think you have, you have to know your worth, but you have to be intelligent about it. We've, especially in like factory work, which I know you've done as well we know people who feel like their worth is a lot higher than the, what I see them do every day. And mm. they may get mad because they are passed up for a promotion or, you know, something like that when they thought they should get it. But I just seen them spend 45 minutes in the bathroom yesterday, kind of a situation. Right. Right. But, you know, I, my, I guess my, what I would say is, you know, make sure that, you're investing the time no matter how long you're there. Even if you know that there's a ceiling and you're going to try to go somewhere else, at least make sure that you're still continuing to try to grow as much as you possibly can in the situation that you're in versus just if you, you know, if I'm in a position, even if I've reached the top and I know that I can't go any higher, now I'm stagnant and I decide they don't appreciate me here. Now I'm just, I'm not going to invest the time as much anymore. I'm going to go here. If you try to go to another job and they call your supervisor and your what's your supervisor going to say? They're going to say, well, you know, for the last six months, which I mean, I, I don't, I think there's laws that say you can only say a certain, you know, a certain few things, but regardless, right. the, is the supervisor more willing to give you a really good review or what have you been doing for the past six months to a year because you felt like you weren't going to, to be able to grow, you, you know, you haven't been investing the time, right? Yes. So just be smart about what you're doing. I think, I think it goes even a little deeper than that because I, I think it, it speaks to one's character, right? And so character is what we are when no one's watching. It's, it's the things that we do and how we behave and how we think 
when no one is around to see us do those things, right? And so I believe that I'm a firm believer, always have been, that our character shines through even though we put on a facade. I mean, we put on a facade in public and society because we kind of almost have to. But I, I think everyone's character still shines through in different ways. So if I'm the type of guy that's going to – I know I've hit a ceiling at work. And by the way, I've been this type of guy in my past. When I was in the factories, I was the guy in the bathroom for 45 minutes because I was in there taking a nap, right? This was That was not a career choice for me, and it was in my, my younger and, and not so motivated days. But um, if I'm the guy that, that I know I've hit a ceiling and I'm in the bathroom taking a nap or I'm just doing my job halfway to an, you know the expectation or I just up and quit my job because I, you know they're, they're not going to pay me anymore. I don't want to be here anymore, so I'm not giving any notice. I'm just leaving. I think we carry those with us, those those variables with us in our character, and that causes us problems later because our character ends up shining through. And so, even if that prospective employer that you're trying to, where you're trying to get a job at, even if they don't talk to your former supervisor and they say, "Yeah, he sucks. Good luck finding him when he's taking a dump. You won't see him for you know an hour and a half later." Uh, even if they don't have that conversation. I think in ways it still shines through our character, at least for the most part. I'm, I'm a firm believer in that. Well, it's also making sure you're not burning bridges that you never know if you're going to need again. I mean, if you're at a position for three years, you're good at what you do, but you don't feel like you can grow. So you decide you're going to go somewhere else and then you go there and you hate that job. You could still be a shoe in to come back to the position you originally had. Regardless if you liked it or not, it could be a bridge to get you somewhere else if you wanted to. Right. Yeah. But, but if you burn that bridge because you don't put in your two weeks and you you don't do anything for the past or the last six months to a year that you're there, you know, you're, you're burning a bridge that could leave you unemployed and sitting on your butt at home and not being able to do anything. Yes. And also this is like uh, if, if we would have had this conversation like 15, 20 years ago, I would have been a perfect example of what not to do, because I wasn't just a, a burner of bridges with jobs also a burner of bridges with people, right? I burned bridges that I should not have burned with people all the time, just based off of impulse mostly, I think, or, or a self-serving, some kind of a need or a want that I had just to burn that bridge. And I think the people that we keep around us is also a, a very important factor in building a motivational foundation for oneself. You know, the people that you have around you, like someone may be very productive in your life, and you get a lot of good content from them, so to speak. They, they're inspiring in ways, but maybe there's that little something about them that you just don't care for, right? And it's something that kind of annoys you, drives you nuts. But you don't really weigh the pros and cons enough. You don't, you don't let the benefits outweigh the, you know, the annoyance. And so you, maybe we do something to burn that bridge. And if that's the case, what are you losing out in? because you burned that bridge with this person who had more to offer, which is also, you know, kind of metaphorically in line with the job situation too, right? Because you may just need the job to, to feed your family and that's okay too, right? Don't drive yourself nuts. Don't let that torture you. But if there's some benefit you're getting out of it, make sure you're getting that and not weigh the pros and cons. Make sure you're not just burning bridges for the sake of burning bridges because that's what you're used to doing or you're impulsive or you're just stupid. Right. I agree. Because any of those things could be a factor, right? Absolutely. What other what other kind of variables do you have in your life personally that you feel like 
constitutes part of your motivational platform? What is it that you use to set yourself up to try to be more successful in life or to reach your goals? Um, what, what are some of the things that you do, some of the factors that you employ or the, the techniques that you use in order to try to achieve that? I don't know if I really know how to explain like like techniques and things like that. Mine, it, my thing has always been, no matter what situation you're in, always. So I've always been the, I've never been like a massively outgoing type of person. I've always been, I'll be the one observing and, you know, like sitting in the corner and observing everything that's going on in a room. But then I'll be the, also the, the end of the day, I can tell you you know, who people are and what people are doing and things like that, even though I wasn't in the mix. Right. I, not Mm -hmm. that I'm opposed to being in the mix. Yeah. I've, I've never been that real outgoing person, but I, my, my goal has always been no matter what room you're in, make sure you're paying attention to what people are saying, how people are acting and what people are doing, because I feel like reading people is a very, and being able to read people is a very important thing in life. And you, once you, if you can get good at it, you can have a very good intuition right off the bat when you meet somebody on, is this person going to be beneficial in my life or is this a one interaction and done type of situation? Mm. Okay. So reading people, I like that one too. Yeah. I've always, I've always kind of gravitated toward that kind of, that, that kind of social approach. I think for me, when I go into a room. I'm usually, and still, yeah, I'm a lot more outgoing than what I used to be in my younger days, but I'm usually the guy who's quiet, especially at first, and just kind of seeing, I guess, I guess scanning the room to see who's in it, by who I mean what type of person is in it, right? and kind of see which direction I want to go, because like, kind of like what you said, some conversations I'm not even interested in, in getting in, and, and some personalities I'm not even really I'm not rude for the most part, but I'm not really trying to engage with that particular kind of person. It's nothing personal. I'm not judging you. I just know myself and I just know that we're not going to mesh. And so I'd rather just part ways because there's only so much time that you have in life. And so I, I think that's a good, I think that's a good factor. It's a good <laughs> or, way to approach. Or you don't want to, like you'd rather part ways now than just let this ride out for a while and then end up burning a bridge because you said the wrong thing or did the wrong thing because that person annoyed you or, you know, something like that. Yeah. Being able to read a room really well, I think you got to know yourself. If you're talking about dynamics, right? If we're talking about how am I going to interact with these folks, you got to know yourself first, right? Because it might just be because I'm a, I'm a jackass and I know that, if I'm probably going to say the wrong thing because sometimes those words spill out of my mouth and I don't want to say the wrong thing in this room. I don't know these people and I don't want to embarrass myself or I don't want to embarrass, you know, whoever I'm with. And so it's just a matter of knowing yourself, I think is a very important factor in being able to read a room like that. Right. Yeah. And, and yeah. And knowing what annoys you and what makes you feel certain ways, you know, the, I, I think I've talked about this before, but like the term that people say where they just see red, you know, mm-hmm. you know, like they, they just get mad to a point to where they just see red and then they can't really control what they do. I think it's the same right. situation. You, But you know, you know, after that happening a few times, you know, okay, this is what happened to make that situation happen. So it's right. then you, once you've learned yourself, you can keep yourself out of situations 
but I think there's people out there that either they like that situation, so they don't try to learn from it. They just, you know, they they like the interactions that they have once that happens. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I it, it can be hurtful or harmful, or harmful, or it can actually help you depending on knowing your, like you said, knowing yourself is is the most one of the most important things that you can do before you try to learn other people and know what other people are doing. Yeah, and I think I think knowing yourself, taking a really good self inventory before you try to be successful, so to speak, at anything, before you try to reach certain goals, because you need to know what you're made of, what you're capable of, what you can tolerate and what you can't. Yeah, so you don't just constantly. I used to walk around all the time and wonder why everybody sucked so bad, right? I mean, just <laughs> I had a small a small circle of friends, a small circle of people that I even trusted at all. And everyone else was just like, they were like demon pigs, right? They just, I, I couldn't stand them. And I had to take a step back and realize, you know what? This was based mostly off of their reaction to me. I was like, and I was quiet. I, I wasn't judgmental. I say I wasn't judgmental. I was judging them as demon pigs, but on fa- at face value, like, I don't care what people look like. I don't, you know, I don't care about anything like that. Um, but after their response, that's when they suddenly manifested themselves as some, a negative entity in my life. But it, you know, I had to take a step back and realize it was because a lot of the way that I was approaching them in the first place, they were responding to me because I wasn't taking stock in how I was approaching them initially. Right. And so if, if I don't do that, if I don't take, if I don't take notice of that, then I'm missing the picture, the, the half the picture at least of why they're responding to me the way that they were. So yeah. I think knowing yourself is definitely that's one of the things that you have to have if you're really going to try to be reach any kind of success in your life, whether it's small or large. Was there a time in your life that you realized that you needed to take a step back and think about those things, or was it, did it kind of just naturally happen, like with getting married and having kids and all that kind of that kind of stuff? Did that just kind of naturally? make you grow as an, as a person, I guess. No, it, it came to me more consciously Okay. because, because I started trying to figure it out, it, which, which came with age. I, I would say I was probably in my, probably in my mid twenties when I finally took a, you know, I, it, it occurred to me, why do people respond to me the way that they do? And once I, once I took that thought and really tried to nurture that thought, and get to the bottom of things, then I started to really dissect the interaction that I have with people and started to pay attention to how I was interacting with people. And I came to the conclusion first as a question, maybe it's because of me, right? And it was hard for me to do that because my ego didn't want me to do that. My ego wanted me to say, no, it's everybody else. You're awesome. You be you, home skillet, because there's nothing wrong with you. But as I began that questioning, then I got a little deeper and a little deeper, and I was really paying attention to what I was doing in the first place, and that's how I got to that conclusion. So it, it was a it was a conscious decision for me to to figure things out. Right. I think I think we whether it's on purpose or not, I think we we judge people right off of the bat when we start interacting with somebody, mm-hmm. and but it, it's hard to look past and a lot of times a lot of times because you don't know their story but it's hard to look past what they're the front that they're putting on for you 
to know what the story is on why they are the way they are. You know, right. so like, and I guess the first thing that pops in my head is a scenario. So say like you walk, say you, it's your first day on a job and you have a trainer and that trainer is basically just bad mouthing the company the entire time or telling them that, you know, basically telling you that you really don't want to work here. This place sucks while they're training you. But that might just be, I mean, that's their outlook and they may have done something that they they knew they shouldn't have done that got them in trouble with the company. So now they're, they look, you know, they're, they're looking down upon the company and they're, they're just showing that to you. But, right. but that has yeah. nothing, that has nothing to do. This is just mm-hmm. an interaction between you two now. So I know you, you don't ever know their story, but it's, you've got to learn how to separate the two. Okay. Yeah. This person's bitter, but that I don't have to automatically take that same stance that they have just because they have that stance. Yes. That's, and this is another skill that I feel like can, can help to keep one motivated and to keep one on track and on point. Because if we are constantly basing our emotional state or, or our, our level of motivation, whatever the case may be off of the reaction of other people, for one thing, that's going to be a roller coaster that you, you do not want to be on. It's going to be nothing but ups and downs. And it's also going to leave you, I think, with a, a, a less of a sense of of self for yourself because you're, you're missing the point, right? So um, there, there's a rabbit hole that you can go down. This person might have suffered trauma in their life. Maybe they were abused by someone that looks like me or wore, wore the same cologne as me, and it just they're triggered. Right. And maybe that's an extreme example. But like you said, maybe maybe they're just having a bad day at work or they have they have disdain to the company that you work for. And it's just kind of showing out through their mood. But me being kind of uh, self-conscious, I think, well, they're mad at me that I did something wrong. And I still deal with thoughts like that. But I know how better to deal with them. And you have to have the skill that I feel like is important here is rational detachment. Okay, and this is what we have when working with clients, right? Because sometimes I work with some very emotionally charged people and sometimes they take that emotion, they direct it right at me and they they call me names and they they shout obscenities at me because I'm that point of contact for them. I'm that point of release for them. Right. But I use rational detachment so that I know it's not personal. They're really not shouting at me. They're using me as a sounding board, so to speak. A little different in social or professional interactions, uh, well, other than working with clients, but but you have to consider whether or not someone's having a bad day, this and that. I can't possibly do an analysis or ask enough questions or whatever to find out what's wrong with that person that day. Right. I just need to make sure that I'm controlling myself, right? right? And you can do that because you 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 have a you have a little bit of a distance between you, not the person necessarily, but how they're exhibiting their emotion. Right. It, but the funny thing is, too, is that it's almost sometimes the way that people express themselves, whether they're just expressing their hatred for something or whatever, it's honestly, depending on your the type of person you are, it's kind of almost a healthier thing that they are expressing themselves the way they are versus keeping that stuff bottled up and then just you know, letting it all blow at one time at some point. So, Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like you don't know what somebody's going through. So them expressing their hatred or disdain or whatever for a certain situation that's going on right now might have nothing to do with you. It's just, but you have to be able 
to get through that interaction and move on and kind of understand that them doing that is actually kind of healthier than them just not saying anything and just, you know, staying, standing there in a corner and then shooting up a place later on or something. What you're talking about here is a technique called reframing, right? So you're reframing the situation in order to basically what you're doing is you're shifting your own perspective, right? Because the emotional knee jerk reaction might be, well, that person's acting rude or they're acting like they're in a bad mood and I'm going to judge you for that, right? Because you made me feel a certain way because you're rude. Now I'm a little angry. And so I'm going to point that anger toward you. But instead you reframe it by saying, you know what? That person may be having a bad day or this may be their way to systematically vent so that they don't bottle and then blow up in a big way, like you said, shoot something up or just have some kind of a meltdown. That reframing process, it alleviates that tension between you and them, and that's what can help cause that ir- that rational detachment so that you're not too close to the situation. You take a step back and use logic instead of emotion. And when we can use logic instead of emotion, we set ourselves in a more uh, tranquil sometimes, if that's the right word, but at least a more neutral setting so that we can concentrate on the things that are actually important. Right. Because emotions get in the way. Emotions, they, they muddy the waters. They cloud our judgment. And we've got to get through the emotions, even the good emotions. Right. I've been, you know, I've experienced such good emotions, whether it was love or, or happiness or whatever the case may be. I was elated at that point in time. And I missed a lot of the other things that were going on in life that were important to me because I was too focused on that that positive emotion that I was feeling, right. right? I was up in the clouds and missing everything down here on earth. And it was it, to some degree, to some points, it was detrimental for some things because I missed some, some things I should have been paying attention to. So having that detachment is very important and using that reframing that, even though I, you know, I don't know if you, how much thought you put into that and, and being able to do that, but it's, it's a great skill in order, I think, to have a motivational foundation. That's the kind of technique that, yeah, un- unpacking this in this conversation, I think we could really dig into and and work on interaction with uh, with other people. You know, we we want to be independent. We want to be to ourselves. You know, we want to be um, you know self uh, self willed. You know, we want to all all that good stuff that makes us an independent person, a good American. <laughs> uh, but our interactions with other people has so much consequence on our mindset. It's, and if we're not careful, that interaction can be highly detrimental and highly damaging to our mindset that throws us way off of balance and gets, gets us out of that, that zone of the, the motivational foundation that you and I are seeking to, to really solidify. Right. So, and then of course there are some other good habits, I guess you could say getting good sleep, getting good exercise. P- I, people, I mean, we do a lot of fitness podcasting, so a lot of our listeners are going to be like, duh, but there are so many people out there, right? So many people out there who don't understand the, the benefit of exercise on both your physical and mental well-being. And I just wish everybody could really see, I wish they could kind of fast forward just for a moment in time, just to see how important it is when you're exercising versus when you're not and how you feel. Not just body-wise, but in your mind, it's it's crazy. It's it's a game changer, let, and let, so getting good sleep, good exercise, all those things are definitely part. Good nutrition, definitely part of a, a motivational foundation. Do you, when you're lifting or when you're doing cardio at the gym, some, any of those things, do you try 
to purposely trigger anxiety or uh, you know anything that you're worried about or any any hatred that you have or anything? Do you try to purposely trigger those things to almost feel like you're getting that stuff out of you through the cardio or through the lifting or anything like that? Or do you feel like it just nat you know naturally kind of happens because that lifting and cardio is your outlet? Or you, you understand what I'm saying? Like, do you try, do you totally. purposely yeah. try to get that stuff out of you almost like a cleansing while you're in the gym? Right. And I totally understand what you're saying. I've actually thought on this point about other things, um, other than anxiety. I, I have wondered if how lifting, uh, can be beneficial for certain kind of mental health conditions. If you, if, if your approach to it is very specific and, and goal oriented and you're aware of what you're trying to do. Me, myself, it happens naturally, though. And I've even thought, because sometimes I anger up the blood, right? It helps me with my intensity, by the music I listen to. It's way harder than my baseline music that I listen to. When I'm in the gym, it's just, when I was younger, that was my baseline, of course, full of testosterone and mad at the world and all that good stuff. But nowadays, I, I, don't, I don't stay on an angry track, just in if I'm in the car or whatever. I keep things on a lighter lighter keel, but... In the gym, I anger up the blood, but honestly, when I get in there, usually I forget about anything that's bothering me because I'm in like kind of like a happy place. I get focused on what I'm doing. I love it. The enjoyment's already there, and it naturally just washes away a lot of the stress and anxiety that I have typically, and I know this for sure because if I don't get in the gym, like this past week, I had a couple of days where I could not make it. And I was feeling it, you know, I, and when I have to take a week off or so, take four or five days off to recover, man, I can feel it in my mindset. I, it's, it's hard on me to actually take that time off because my brain's missing that, that therapeutic experience of, of that, you know, lifting and, and exertion and the sweating and even the, the smell. Sometimes you walk into the gym, it's not always a pleasant smell, but it's familiar and it conditions my brain to to think yeah i'm here let's get to work right and it's a yeah, it's, happy it's, place yeah it's work. almost it's almost like when you're when you know when you're you were younger and for some reason just a certain smell of something or whatever and then you don't smell that for 20 years and then all of a sudden for some reason that smell wafts up across your nose and all of a sudden the, all these memories come back from something that what surrounded that smell it's kind of like the same thing it's like you miss that yeah. When you when you don't have it and then all of a sudden it just you know comes it comes over you. Yeah, right. Yeah. Our our olfactory senses is one of the most responsive senses to memory. So when you smell something, it can instantly trigger a memory more so than if you were to touch that, you know, whatever it was that would trigger a memory or or even see something, right? The olfactory nerves are somehow they have they're they're the most intuitive as far as connecting to a memory that whatever it was that had a, a significant impact in your life, whether it be negative or positive. But yeah, so, so my approach to that is, um, it's just natural, but I, I, I like your point that, you know, if, if you go in there and you kind of work it out, you think about anxiety while you're exerting. Um, I, I would, I would caution for some, it, it might not be for, for some people, it might be beneficial for others. It might not because I think it was Austin Stout, we were talking with recently who was talking about the stress that you're putting on your body and hence your mind when you're actually, you know, doing some heavy lifting. And if you 
correlate that stress with a thing that's anxiety provoking, it may cause a negative reaction. So I would caution to be careful. I think for me, it wouldn't. I think I, if you have enough of the, the correct perspective and you know what you're doing and in your mind, you're resolving that thing as you're working it out. There's a lot of visualization techniques that you can use, you know, with uh, cognitive behavioral therapy and, and DBT and things like that. When, when you visualize, you're basically, you're working it out in your mind because I believe it was, I keep referring back to our last podcast is great, but Steve, Tra- uh, Steve Tresek, who said that your mind doesn't know the difference. Like if you complete something or not, or, or, or if you, I forget exactly what the, what we were talking about, but your mind doesn't know the difference, whether or not you're actually doing something. It's the mind. It, it works on what's basically what's within itself. Right. And so we use a lot of visualization techniques in order to, um, kind of train our mind, condition our mind. And in this case, we could use it to condition our mind for success. You, know, you can't just, you know, believe it and achieve it, right? There are some whack jobs out there that think you can just visualize it and all of a sudden it's going to show up on your doorstep. That's not the case. But when you visualize it, your mind becomes used to being successful at that thing. You're conditioning your mind in order to accept the success, especially if you are preconditioned to negativity or to failure. And so having that visualization, you can use that while you're working out to achieve success and correlate it with that strength and condition your entire body, your mind, body, and spirit. This is very theoretical, obviously. I have no science to back this up, (laughs) but just going down this rabbit hole, you can condition your mind, body, and spirit to achieve things under exertion, under that tension, because it's hard. But you're still your brain is is it's successful at whatever it's visualizing. So I could see that as being very beneficial, at least to uh, to study. Yeah, I agree. Uh, conditioning is something that we talk about all the time, and that I feel like we're it's never going to go away. I think it, it in motivation and even in fitness and nutrition and stuff like that. I think uh, conditioning is a whether you're conditioning your body, conditioning your brain, whatever. I think that's going to be a topic that's going to continue to come up, but to kind of sew this thing up since we're running, you know, quite a bit on time. Absolutely. Um, do you feel like when you were younger and maybe it's because we deal with a lot more stuff now that we're adults, bills and families and all that kind of stuff. But did you feel like when you were younger, you were able to control or condition your brain easier? Like when you were a kid or, this is either gonna make me sound really freaking crazy or you're gonna agree with me, one of the two. But maybe both. Maybe. There are to- there are times now, like as an adult, where my brain reacts faster almost than a thought that I have. So it's like my brain's going to control the situation before I have a chance to control my brain to control this situation. Right. I don't feel like I had that when I was younger as a kid. Now, like I said, it may be because there's more things in, you know, more knowledge, more, my brain's more cramped now, maybe, I don't know, something like that. But I just don't feel like, I feel like I had a lot more control when I was younger as a kid on decisions I made, uh, especially split second type decisions and things of that nature versus today. Do you have that same Mm. feeling? This is interesting. 
I can't believe you're trying to sew things up on this topic. <laughs> Sorry. Because now I'm going to go for the next hour and a half. Maybe, well, maybe, maybe, maybe if you if you can just like chop it up into something small, knowing that next chat that we have is going this that this is definitely the topic. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so I'm going to I'm going to try to put this in a nutshell. In it, it basically, in essence, I don't think that it's anything that you didn't have as a child. I think you're more aware of that thing. That's, that's trying to that the part of your brain is trying to control the impulse, right? Gotcha. So that split second thing. And we've, we've talked about before on a show about the, what was it? The, the precognition, the pre-thought thought. It's like, I, I I'm aware that there's a thought that's happening. I can see it, but it, it's almost like it's not quite my thought yet. Because I haven't had time to think, right? Right. So and so, I think what we're what we're basically we're differentiating between that first trigger thought that happens in our brains, and now as we're older, we're more aware of it. And I I think some people may not even be aware of it at, at all. I, I think you come to a point to where you do so much, you know, so, uh, mind searching as opposed to soul searching. You do so much um, thinking about what's going on in your own mind that you start noticing things. And you start tearing things apart and dissecting and realizing that this is actually going on. And I wasn't even aware of it. But I guess that's kind of like a conditioning too, right? Because your your brain is conditioned to make the thought before you even have control about the thought that's being made. And the reason why is because your brain's con- been conditioned to do that. Like it's it's like over, like it, it knows what that thought should be without you having to put in the effort to make that thought. Yeah, and, and if you can go with that, you could be a very quick thinker. Gotcha. But you've but you've got to be able to count on that um, that first impulse of thought, that first thing that that's popping up in your brain. This goes back to Sam Harris and his belief that we don't have free will, because if there's anything that we that we reserve as our own, it's our thoughts, right? But he postulates and and really believes through mindfulness practice and things like that, that because what we're talking about here, that first initial spark of a thought, we have no control over that. And and to some degree, I think that what we're talking about kind of mitigates some of the, the chasm between my version of free will and Sam's version of no free will is because I I do, I understand that we're, we're all slaves to our experience, right? When When you're talking about conditioning, you're talking about experience and how we basically respond or, or choosing to respond in the future based on that experience. Right. So if I continuously, um, well, let's just say if I make myself get up and go work out, make myself get up and go work out in the mornings. All right. I do that over some time. I'm conditioning my brain to get up out of bed and get to the gym. Even though it wants, wants to stay asleep, I'm conditioning my brain to do that based on my experience of continuously doing that. So after a while it becomes kind of automatic, and so I've conditioned myself to do that. I don't have to think about it so much anymore. Sometimes I may have to fight with it. All right. But that initial, so we're, we're a slave to that experience because that initial um, thought is happening without our having to sit there and think about, it. okay, brain, do this. Right. Right. Um, uh, so that that's one thing that we're kind of unpacking here that we don't really have time to unpack today, but it's going to be good on another episode. One more thing, though. Another thing that and I'm not a Freudian like Freudian psychology really isn't my thing. It's, it's antiquated. 
uh, and there's a lot of just goofiness in there, even though he was the godfather, the basically the pioneer of, of what we do today. But his his um, concept of the mind, you have the the ego, the super ego, and the id, right? And so it, it kind of reminds me what the way that you framed it is that I think that the ego or or possibly even maybe it's the id, which is the impulsive um, it's like want to want to eat, want to have sex, you know those those innate drives that we have, just survival drives that we have. It's all the pleasure principle. It's all about me, 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 and making sure I survive and 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 get to have sex and reproduce. Um, so you have the superego, which is more of the conscious mind. And by by conscious, I mean it's it's the um, the thing that tries to get you to be good, to be a good person, to be a good citizen, things like that. Then you have the ego that's just kind of trying to mitigate between those two those two um, different sides of the spectrum, right? It seems to me like maybe we are talking about something along those lines and that we're kind of experiencing what Freud was trying to trying to define that there's this there's this impulse, which would be our id and either our, our I guess our super ego would be trying to say, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me think about this before you go and start trying to hump that, you know, that person over there. I know that's not what we're talking about, but uh, before you do that impulsive thing. Let's think about this and make sure that it's socially acceptable before we turn it over to the ego and let the ego do what it does in reality, the reality principle of everyday life. Right. So anyway, that's a big rabbit hole, man. Don't get me started. Yeah, that's uh, – I'm not going to I've, – I've, just out of the stuff you've said, I've got a lot more topics in my head that I could branch off of that, but I don't want to because I think we'll end up being here for four hours. So. Yeah. Save it for another – Cerebral chat. Right. All right. All right. What do you think? So, yeah. I don't, in, in closing, man, I, we were just basically talking about the uh, motivational foundation for life. You know, I think we hit on some pretty, you know, fundamental topics that I think are good for anyone. Everybody's a little different, of course. So, find out what is, find out what works for you, find out what keeps you level, find out what keeps you balanced. Try not to get too high on the highs and too low on the lows and keep your eyes on the on the prize. And but make sure it's tailored toward you. Don't let other people's expectations of you get in the way of your own version of success. Right. And, and also bam. make short time make short term goals, make long term goals. Regardless if you think you can attain them or not, you're going to grow as an individual trying to obtain those goals. And I guarantee you that anybody who has achieved the goals that you are setting probably didn't feel like they could achieve them either, but they're there. So right. it's, it's always possible. Yeah. Hey, look, if you don't think you can make it, whatever you're doing, just look at post Malone. <laughs> Enough said. <laughs> I mean, the guy made it somehow, yeah. some way he looks like, he looks like he looks worse than some of the homeless people I've seen <laughs> on the street up in the city. And I, I hate to disparage the homeless people about like that because I mean, yeah, it's but he made it. I, I, it. Who knows why? Because he's different. Because he and he's talented, you know. But there are a lot of talented people out there. Yeah. Um. You've just gotta you've gotta find your own version of success and go for it, man. See what it does for you. Right. And so. if you don't think you're gonna, if you don't, I don't remember what the term is exactly, but it's like whether you believe you can or believe you can't. You're right. You're right. So mm. if you don't feel like you can achieve a goal not trying to achieve the goal 
is definitely going to make it to where you can achieve that goal. So that's right. Yep. That's right. Couldn't have said it better myself. So having said that, man, always great to talk to you. Absolutely. All right. You just heard the track Mix Wax Messiah by Ace Ha. We want to thank Ace Ha, and we also want to thank you and thank you again to the CEP listener. Remember that word of mouth is a golden thing for us, so don't forget to tell your friends and fam about the great variety you hear right here on the CEP. Subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you consume all those podcasts you love to keep the variety coming straight to those ear holes of yours with the automaticity. Also on that note, when you go to Apple Podcast, once again, it would help us immensely if you would give us a five-star rating while you are there to show your love for the CEP. And speaking of love, we love it when you love us on the socials. So when you do, expect a lot of love back from us. And be sure to visit the launching pad while you're at it for all things cerebral at thecepodcast.com. And of course, if you need to contact us, you can do that at cerebral at thecepodcast.com. Don't forget to go get merch at buyjack.com slash CEP. And to be honest with you folks, that's all I've got. I know it's over already, but be sure to keep those big, beautiful brains of yours nice and warm out there. We'll see you.